And welcome to Pilot Boys episode 106. Today in our college football sprint, we are talking about Ohio State, Penn State. What a great win. Michigan State, Michigan, this crazy game that happened. Kenneth Walker, the third, probably the Heisman front runner. And uh, some of the new rankings where, you know, we might, we might have some beef. And in our deep dive today, we're going to dive deeper into the topic of being you and overcoming your fears. Buckle in. Put your trade tables up and get ready. The Pilot Boys are about to take off. Welcome to the Pilot Boys Podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. And here are your hosts, Vishwant and Partha. College football sprint time with Coach Zach Smith. Zach, I'm 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 happy that we had a few days for you to recover from that wild tailgate that you guys had over on Lane. Man, I needed it, bro. I, I I'm telling you right now, Sunday was rough. I mean, you, the, we've we've only done tailgates for noon games. I mean, mainly because most of the games are played at noon, especially with yeah. Fox picking up big games. And so this that night game, I and mean, we got home at like two in the morning after tearing down and everything. It was nuts. Wow! Wow! Successful event though. It looked like people were. Oh my god! It was packed. I mean, we had over 225 people. It was nuts. It was a really good, really good time though. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and everyone had to stay through the fourth quarter, which neither one of us expected. Right. Uh, right. <laughs> I, we, we honestly probably would have raised more money if the, if it would have been a blowout because people would have left and came back in the second half. But yeah, but uh, it's, it's cool. It's cool. Cause you have 225 people there, you know, to pregame and then probably I'd say a little over half of them leave and go to the game. So you're left with a more intimate crowd of maybe a hundred people to watch the game. So it was sweet. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's great when you're raising money from for charity. Who 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 benefits from uh, your guys' tailgates? Where do you guys? So we do we do a bunch with it. Obviously, Braxton and I do the events. So his his uh, foundation gets half the money, and they do all kinds of stuff for kids, school supplies, okay. um, and then then our our charity. It's the Earl and Jean Bruce uh, Charitable Benefits, and, and it's kind of an umbrella charity where we we do a lot with it we do a lot of stuff for kids the majority of the money goes to alzheimer's research though that's kind of okay. was my grandfather's passion and he passed away from it so it's we do a bunch with it but it, it all goes to great causes great 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 well let's get into let's get into the game itself um was almost a charitable contribution to a penn state victory <laughs> <laughs> right it's almost a charitable contribution to Cincinnati's chances of making the playoffs too. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Let's talk about the game. We had some trouble early on, especially establishing the run. We knew their defense was solid, but um, what happened in this game, and and what did what what do you think we learned from it on both sides of the ball? Well, you know, I think uh, there there was. You 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 didn't. I guess you. I wouldn't say you expected to struggle to run the ball. I mean, this is the best offense line in the country, and and I think you know probably the second best running back because we saw the best back in the country show out on Saturday. Yeah. In the other big game, but um, Trav- it, it was the cool thing is is it wasn't a game where Travion Henderson was going to have eight or nine carries. I mean, he carried the ball twenty eight times, and they clearly showed Tony Alford showed that you know if it's a if it's a good a big game or or we need to win, that's who's going to be the back. Period. End of story. And he's um, going to get twenty eight carries, which again in the the Michigan State game a few years back in 2015, 
should have been the case and wasn't. Seems like they've learned learned the lesson. Well, different head coach, right? <laughs> yes, different different offense. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, it was it was confusing to say the least. I mean, C.J. Stroud played okay. He played well. I yeah. mean, it was a big game for him. His first big game, uh, healthy, I guess. But what I what I can't figure out is, and 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 the biggest problem I think we have offensively right now is that C.J. Stroud won't fucking scramble. Yeah, it's I don't like, understand that. Is that I, I don't coach? Because, is that coach driven or is that him? Um, I think I, I, it's a little of both. I know Ryan doesn't like quarterbacks taking unnecessary hits, but there are necessary hits that you need to take, right? Yeah. And you look at his the analytics when you watch the film and on the analytics, like his his biggest struggles when he's under duress, under pressure, right? And that's when great quarterbacks shine. That's when Joe Burrow, you know, scrambles and, and gets a first down or scrambles and and completes a pass, right? He. Uh, lengthens the play, keeps the play alive, and finds a receiver. C.J. Stroud was 74% uh, efficient when he was kept clean, but the minute he was under pressure, that dropped 30%. It dropped to 45% because defenses aren't honoring his ability to run. Yeah, right. Why? Well, yeah. because he doesn't run, right? Yeah. And it, it was so confusing. There was a couple times where you're just like, just run, go, just go. Yeah. And, and I think that's the biggest problem. That And, and, and for some reason, him and Chris Olave have kind of lost chemistry, and I don't know what it yeah, is. Yeah, I mean, especially on that touchdown throw, it was it was very confusing what happened. Yeah, oh, he missed him wide open on an easy touchdown throw. But but even more than that, like him and Garrett Wilson, seventy percent efficient when he, yeah. when he throws to him. Him and Jackson Smith and Jigba, eighty six percent efficient. Chris Olave, thirty seven percent efficient. Like what? There's something missing here with Chris Olave and, and C.J. Stroud that I think needs to be needs to be addressed. I don't know if they need to throw more to each other in practice or or it just happens that his bad throws were to Chris Olave. Like yeah. one of the two is true, right? I mean maybe maybe Olave is running the, the the more challenging routes uh as well. It could be a multitude of things, right? And yeah. we've also seen Chris make some uncharacteristic drops uh this season as well. So there there's there's a lot to that, and I and I agree with you. It's one of the most confounding things because there are probably I circled about three plays in the game where if CJ would have just left and ran, he would have gotten seven to ten yards, and he just didn't do it, right. and right. it resulted in us actually having to get off the field yep. uh, sooner than we needed to. And I think that's something that needs to be figured out. I think you pointed it out also earlier in the year that we have cap capable backups. It's not like we have somebody as a backup who can't come in and play. So the injury risk factor of why we're not doing it versus last year with Justin Fields is completely different, I think as well. Yeah. Um, so hopefully we solve that. Now on the defensive side of the ball, it was like we knew he was going to get the ball every single play and he got the ball every single play. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? It was like <laughs> Dotson just, he's a special talent, obviously, but, some of the secondary play was concerning. Yeah, there's no doubt. Him and Parker Washington had a day. Um, obviously, neither of them reached the end zone, but they but they both got. I mean, 20 catches between the two of them, and and, and it's just shocking that that um that that we allowed it to happen, right? I mean, I mean, Sean Clifford threw for the most yards he has all year outside of Villanova, the second highest of his entire career. Yeah, uh, dating back to the 2019 Maryland game, and and it was just he he was able to 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 make plays and, and make our just drive the ball right and, and yeah. the, i think the most concerning stat of the day was our, was our third down defense i mean they we would get them to third down and and they were 11 of 6 for 16 on third down that's just absurdly that high for crazy. an average defense so it's just unacceptable and they have to get it fixed yeah it is and and the thing that's that stood out to me the, on a positive note on the defense is that we got 
we created pressure. You know, we obviously had a defensive defensive touchdown. Rumble, young man, rumble. That was probably the best moment of the game. Oh uh, yeah, the, the players fanning him after the game. Our three hundred pounder picking it up and running a five zero forty to the end zone. But that's what really made the secondary play stand out because they couldn't point to, oh, well, our defensive line and linebackers weren't creating pressure. We were able to create pressure successfully throughout most of the game. So it's definitely on the secondary specifically um, for why they were able to create these opportunities. And that's something they need to fix. No doubt. No doubt. Like you look at this game and it probably should have been a loss, honestly. I mean, from yep. from 11 missed tackles on defense, 10 penalties that were just, I mean, it was painful to watch. We were awful on third down, both sides of the ball, defense and offense. And then yep. we get in the red zone six times and only score one touchdown. Like that is the formula to lose. Yeah. And Penn State, to their credit, is, I think, the best red zone defense in, in the country. But despite that, we, a lot of our, uh, missteps were a result of ourselves, not them necessarily doing anything special. Um, and when you have the ball at the one yard line and, and, and Travion Henderson and probably the best offensive line, you should be able to figure out how to get into the end zone. Um, and that's, that's, that's just on us uh, more yeah. than anything else. One thing that I did like seeing from, from the freshman was him making that mistake um, and, and having that false start penalty on the one yard line, but then coming back the next drive and, and, and knocking out that, that 70 yard scamper, you know, oh, I yeah. think you like to see that, you know, you're going to see freshmen make mistakes, but to see how quickly he recovered is a credit to how special our freshman running back is. Oh, there's no doubt. He is special, special. And, you know, big game, young kid, going to have a mistake here and there. If a false start penalty is the worst thing he did in the game, which it is, um, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good day, right? It is. It is. And I think we benefited tremendously. And we'll get into this from the fact that Penn State does not have any semblance of a running game um, that was a threat to us <laughs> for real in, in this game. You know, oh, yeah. they're good, but, you know, they did most of their damage through the air. Yeah, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. And they, they haven't been able to run the ball all year, but we made Sean Clifford look far better than he is. I mean, they averaged one yard a care per carry. So the rush defense was great, but that was not a great rushing offense. Um, so it, it was disappointing, a disappointing day. Uh, but the fortunate thing is when you have a disappointing day and get a W against a, a pretty good opponent, uh, you know what? Life is good. Yeah. You know, we beat a top 25 opponent with a good defense that plays us well, knows us well. I mean, we got to take we got to take the dub and and run. Um, now the the other game, um, big game of the weekend, which has a lot of a lot of uh, potential consequences for Ohio State, was the Michigan Michigan State game. Um, Michigan State pulled off the victory. It seems like that's become more and more a another series or another rivalry which Michigan is on the wrong side of more consistently than not. <laughs> and right. it's unfortunate. It was a good game though. Um, like you said, Kenneth Walker, I don't know where this kid has come from, but I think he came straight out of freaking the running back heaven for Michigan state oh, yeah. <laughs> because he is an animal. It's not just um, the fact that they have a good offensive line and good system. This kid's vision, this kid's ability to uh, adjust his runs you saw his full talent on display in this game and Michigan could not 
answer for him. I know a lot of their fans were complaining about the officiating. Yeah, there were some officiating issues, but Michigan State's offense did whoop Michigan's defense's ass, which is supposed to be the 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 highlight of Michigan's team this year. What were your takeaways from that game and what you saw from both teams um, in, in probably their first real, real test of the year? Yeah, I mean, it was just outstanding. I mean, uh, Michigan State was kind of, I guess, exposed in the throw game. I mean, Peyton Thorne, I don't think anyone thought he was a, a dominant quarterback or a great quarterback, but but he, he just he struggled. They get a, did a good job of containing him. I mean, their, their offense really has been launch the ball deep because they have two track kids, Jalen Naylor and Jaden Reed, and yeah. then complete little short throws and hand the ball to Kenneth Walker. That's been their offense, right? Yeah. And they, they couldn't get the deep ball going, right? They, were, they only threw it three times over 20 yards and hit one of them and threw a pick. So it, Michigan's defense, you know, hats off to them for taking that aspect of their offense away and made them one dimensional. The problem is that other dimension is a Heisman Trophy winner. <laughs> I mean, yeah. 200 yards and five touchdowns. Just wow. I mean, that kid is explosive, powerful. He is an absolute phenomenal back. And food for thought, he transferred in from Wake Forest, who right now is 8-0, sitting atop yeah. the ACC. How good with, would Wake Forest be if they had Kenneth Walker III right now? That's amazing. That's amazing. It's great seeing programs like that rise, Cincinnati, Wake Forest, seeing them have years like this. It's great for their, great for the university, great for the kids who go to school there. Um, and you love to see it, right? Um, yep. You love to see a situation where everyone wins. Kenneth Walker put himself in a better situation for – himself and made the right decision and, and wake forest was able to move on successfully right so absolutely and, and we got mel tucker smoking another cigar and having a bourbon my, it's honestly my favorite saturday <laughs> weekend tradition now is, is waiting for mel tucker to to post his video or picture of him with a stogie like just i mean just king of the college football king of the big 10 right now i mean just coach of the year you can already mail in your ballot this guy what he th- did in one year is absolutely unprecedented yeah yeah, and again, we, you know, listeners and, and the college football world likes to discuss rankings, even though we 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 understandably don't don't put much weight into them. But I thought I thought that Michigan State beating Michigan, um, they deserve to jump us for a big win like that. And it was nice to see that Michigan didn't drop very far. They dropped down to number nine, um, which bodes well for the rest of our schedule and the power. So long as Michigan continues to win, Michigan State continues to win. Both of those W's um, that we hope to get are um, are going to be big ones, right? Despite the fact that Iowa lost again, making the Big Ten championship probably not as relevant this season for us as we thought it might be. Um, it, it, it's We're going to have two tough opponents, though, in both of those teams because although Michigan came up short, they look pretty good out there, you know? They look pretty good too. They did. I mean, and, and, and it was, first of all, Michigan's offensive line um, did, did a great job protecting uh, both Cade McNamara and, uh, and JJ McCarthy, I guess JJ McCarthy very minimally, but, but yeah. they gave up zero sacks and they're the number one, number one in power five at sacks allowed. So their, their pass pro is, it is decent. And I think Cade McNamara does a good job of not taking sacks. Um, the, the, the shocker was this, and uh, this freshman, Andrew Anthony, the receiver from East Lansing, he goes home and came into the game with zero catches on the entire year. And he goes six for one fifty five and two touchdowns. It looks like a monster. And it's like, wh- where, where did this kid come from? Yeah. 
It's crazy. It's crazy. Even, don't it's it, it's you get up, you know, in your hometown hometown school. I don't know if he was heavily recruited by Michigan State as well. But, you know, you have those games where kids just get up for, and it yeah. seems like that was a game he got up for. There's no doubt. And as you look across the conference, I mean, at, at a potential, you know, Michigan State, Ohio State, obviously winner probably will go to Indianapolis. And you look across the conference and you're, you, you're expecting to see Iowa. And right now Iowa's in fourth place in the West. And Minnesota looks like they have the inside track to for a rematch of, of week one. And uh, I've... I, I don't think, I mean, I know they don't have the firepower to beat Ohio State, but you hate having to beat the same team twice. Yeah, it's always it's always harder the second time. Always. Um, so, you know, with, with that, we obviously have Nebraska. Don't want to look ahead um, too far, but this game really showed us head-to-head. Ohio State versus a good team in the Big Ten. Michigan State versus a good team in the Big Ten. Um we better stop the running. We better learn how to stop the running game in the next two weeks, right? So. I mean, I'm going to tell you what, it, it's, it, you got to. I mean, <laughs> we've got exactly, what, 18 days to figure it out. And, and I mean. 11 missed tackles isn't going to help us, right? Gosh. <laughs> and I think I think the emergence of steel chambers, I think EA needs to play more. He he obviously uh, still isn't playing a ton. And, and Taraja Mitchell had a, had a really bad game. I mean, he's played really well for three straight weeks. He comes into this game and has four missed tackles himself. You know, they, his zone gets targeted 11 times in the past game for 11 catches. I mean, he just, he had a rough day. And so you're looking at the linebacker core again saying, man, this is still yeah. a weakness, huh? Are we ever going to solidify the the right guys on the field and are we going to coach them up and develop them and get them to play at an elite level? Is that ever going to happen in Columbus? Yeah, it has to change. And if not, head's got to roll, you know, because yep. they're the silver bullets. That's that's supposed to be a check mark at Penn State and Ohio State, the linebacking core. Um, and it hasn't been for us for quite a bit of time. So, <laughs> um and in addition to that, like I don't, I don't know what's going on with the secondary. It seems like losing Steel Chambers hurt us quite a bit because he's been a big, big, big player for us on the defensive side of the ball. Um, but also from a secondary, we got a lot of young guys, and so far this year, you know, I got Kalamao. He's my boy, but uh, Seven Banks is supposed to be one of the a first round cornerback. We've got to see him step up the rest of the scene and rest of the season, and and take control of the secondary and lead them to better play than we saw in, in the Penn State game. Yeah, I mean, he, he, there, there's no doubt. I mean, he was the the third lowest grade of of all defensive starters, and it, it really makes me question also Kerry Combs and what he's doing. I mean, I think the best the best corner I've seen play this year is Cameron Brown. He's consistent. I mean, they. They targeted him three times. He gave up one catch for eight yards in this game, second highest grade. And he's playing 44 snaps, and Denzel Burke's playing 75, and Seven Banks is playing 51. And I know he likes this three-man rotation, but at some point, I mean, you got to have your best corner on the field, right? Yep, yep, yep. And and to Denzel Burke's credit, he's he's earning his time on the field. The kid plays doesn't play like a freshman. You know no, not mean? at all. He's been outstanding. He's going to be special, special. Um by the time he leaves, um, but you know, seven's got to step it up, man. You're, you got the bag on the line. You got your 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 pride on the line. It's it's time to show up and lead that secondary because I think that's what they need more than anything is veteran leadership. Because you got the guys who've got the confidence in Moxie. It's just a matter of let's 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 play together. You know, let's 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 be BIA again. You know, 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so let's 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 figure that out. You know, I don't want to look past the Nebraska matchup um, because Nebraska, although their record doesn't show it, they've been competitive in most of their games this year. Yeah, they really have. I mean, they, they're they're losing games by one score uh, pretty much weekly, and it, it's one of those things that at some point you'd think they're. I don't want to call it luck because nothing in football is luck, but their their program will take make that turn and start winning those close games. And I think that's that's all they are. They're they're just those pushing over that edge to win those close games away from being a solid program again. I mean, I think Scott Frost is is one foot out the door right now, but he's getting pushed. And uh they just they need to they need to take that step as a program, find that toughness and find that, you know, extra effort down the stretch to win those close games. And at some point they you'd like to think they will. You just as a Buckeye fan, you hope it's not this week. Yeah. You hope not, and I think should be able to handle them. And and the the key is to not look ahead to Michigan State and focus on the fact that we're playing a pretty good football team and that we got to win. Yep, that's it. Um, as far as the the rest of the college football landscape, um, did SMU hold on? I I, I was watching pieces of that game, but uh, lost track of it. Did they did they end up coming back and winning that game? Oh yeah, they came back and won thirty nine thirty seven. Okay, so that's that's really that. If Cincinnati wins that game, they're in, right? I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's tough to say, right? You're looking right now at a at a possible, you know, who's in the mix, right? Let's say Georgia is in, right? Yeah. You say Michigan State or Ohio State is in, one of the two, right? And then you have Oklahoma. I don't know who they're going to lose to unless they, you know, lose lose to. A Oklahoma team they shouldn't State. like Oklahoma State. Yeah. And then so if they went out, they're in. That's three. And then you're looking at all right, well, who who do you leave out, right? Do you leave Cincinnati out and put in an Alabama team? Like if they beat Georgia, then I think Cincinnati's on the outside looking in. I mean, they Alabama. Yeah, they're gonna go put in. both of them in, but I yeah. think the, and, the question and there's really another problem here. Wake Forest is undefeated. And if they yeah. finish the season undefeated and win the ACC, how do you not put them in? Yeah. This is gonna be a. Uh, uh, interesting interesting scenario of of seeing how this whole thing plays out i mean wake forest is the the thing that's kind of frustrating about this for both the big 10 and the sec is we've seen acc football season and the only good team in that conference is wake forest the only good team in the big 12 is oklahoma and then i'd say oklahoma state if they were in the big 10 or the sec we'd be looking at them like a penn state you know what I mean? They're not yeah. versus you look at the SEC and the Big Ten this year, and it's just like the Big Ten might be the best conference, right? If you look at our this particular season, it, it's it's going to be interesting because at a certain point, we're going to have to answer this question of whether the ACC and the Big Twelve really deserve any more consideration than you know the conference that Cincinnati plays in. Are they any better? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, right, right. I mean, the ACC cer- certainly is. It, all, it seems like making a, a concerted effort to to make that point valid. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you're in, you're out. You're like, man, are they trying to suck? Because it sh- it kind of looks like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. So you know, we'll, we'll see how this scenario plays out. But I do think that if Cincinnati wins out, Georgia beats Alabama. There's no, there's no conversation here about putting like a one loss. To Ohio State, Michigan State team in over Ohio State. I don't think that that conversation happens. 
where shit gets no, but, wild. But, but, is all right, if- we'll play this. What if then? What okay. if, right? Oklahoma wins out. Georgia wins out. So now Alabama's out. They got their second loss, right? But those two are in. Oklahoma, Georgia are in, right? It's Wake Forest or Cincinnati, right? Yeah. Well, it, Wake Forest goes undefeated. You can't even have the conversation. They have to be in. 13-0 yeah, and ACC champs. Yeah. So they're in. So now do you put Cincinnati in over a one-loss Ohio State Big Ten champ or one-loss Oregon Pac-12 champ? Like, do you, Are they really going to do that? Yeah. It's a tough scenario. I mean, it seems like the coaches and the AP have given them quite a bit of respect, even ranking them at number two in past seasons. You would see this scenario, and Cincinnati would still be ranked below, uh, below, uh, below Wake Forest, right? Um, right. And, and so, we'll see how this whole scenario plays out. It'll be a damn shame if they go undefeated and and don't get in. But <laughs> I think the positive news for Cincinnati is they are going to be uh, probably t- changing conferences soon, so uh, they can they can go to a conference and and hopefully. Fickle's still around and they can get in down the line, but it would be a damn shame if they go undefeated, do everything they're supposed to do, and a, a weak Oklahoma or a weak Wake Forest team gets in just by virtue of the fact that they play in a Power 5 conference without consideration. I don't think the ACC even has another ranked team outside of Wake Forest, do they? Oh, I, I, don't, I can't imagine they do. I don't, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. No, I mean, it, I don't think they do. I mean, I, I don't have the rankings in front of me, but and if you look at Oklahoma's schedule, the only quality win they have is against Texas. And Texas is at what, like four or five losses now? Four losses? Right, right. I mean, I'm, I'm with you. So the, 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 the team that I don't like getting the res- this type of respect is, is Oklahoma. They should not be in that fourth spot, especially after Michigan State beat Michigan. Um, but it is what it is. The world is what it is. These coaches aren't watching games and they're just voting based on the name Oklahoma. So yeah, that's for sure. We'll we'll see how that plays out. And and other kind of groundbreaking college football news is the Gary Patterson at TCU basically resigning as a result of TCU telling him either resign or we're gonna fire you. And it's one of those coaches in those scenarios at a program that you don't see happening considering his history and how much he's done to make that program relevant again. Right. And you'd think he'd have a lifeline, uh, a lifetime job there. Right. But outside of scandal or something happening, but this is purely based on performance. They were going to fire him. He left, but it's, it's one of those weird things. Like he showed up to work on Monday and is helping the coaches with the game plan for the next week. I don't know if he's just signaling, this for his next job like look i'm a company man i'm going to do what it takes i love coaching what it is but it's a very odd situation for your coach to resign and then show up for game plan meetings on monday (laughs) really bizarre i mean it's that for some reason the college football world this is what it is i mean same with uh same with eddie orgeron down at lsu like this this man is still holding staff meetings and and coaching games and practices and it's like but he's fired like I, i don't understand it yeah, it's 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 fascinating. Um and and the question is like I have a lot of respect for him and it seems like his players have a lot of respect for him. Um past and present. Um it's he's a pretty big name in terms of college football, especially if he can go to a program a level up from TCU. 
Do you think he's going to land at a major program? And well, I'll tell season? you where, where there's there's rumblings right now is is if this season doesn't you know take a turn that Scott Frost might be out in Nebraska and, and Gary Patterson might be an option in in wherever the fuck they are Lincoln Nebraska <laughs> yeah um and, and that would be interesting because I. I think he's the right coach if Scott Frost is done. Now, I don't think Nebraska should fire Scott Frost. I think he's on the verge of taking turning that corner, but he's also been there long enough where they're like, all right, well, I don't know if he's ever going to turn that corner. But I think Gary Patterson is the type of coach who can come in and bring that toughness element and get that program to turn the corner. So if they do decide to part ways, I don't think that's a bad a bad hire. Now, Nebraska fans probably won't be too thrilled to get a fired coach, right? Usually you yeah. want a guy on the rise. But, I mean, if Gary Patterson wants to coach again, he'll definitely have opportunities. Yeah, as he, and, he, and he deserves them. He's, he's proven his worth as a college football coach. So we'll see how that, that situation plays out. You know, and the final story is this, this shit bowl game we watched between Florida State and Clemson. What does Florida State do? What do you do when you're a program? I don't want to put Clemson in quite yet because – it's one season, right? But the rapid fall of this Florida State program, uh, where do they go from here? They keep making well, this. I mean, they, they, they have to, I mean, they have, they're going to have to weather this storm now. They, they brought in Willie Taggart, who is an absolute awful head coach everywhere he's been. He was, he was awful at Oregon. He didn't do anything at South Florida. And they bring, they bring him to Florida State, and it was a train wreck. The culture yeah. went to shit. Recruiting went to shit. Everything went to shit. They bring in Mike Norvell to try to clean it up, and boom, COVID hits. And so his whole first year was just, I mean, chaos. Yeah. And so this is a really, I know it's year two, but this is really year one. Yeah. It, it really is. And, um, so I I don't I don't think they can panic yet, but I think they they really need to uh, they really need to just steady steady in the boat and 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 stay the course. Yep, yep. And who do you think LSU and USC look to to fill their positions? I don't know. I mean, if I'm LSU, um, it's it's going to be uh, it's it's going to be Joe Brady, the coordinator that that won him a national title with Joe Burrow and USC. I, they got to think outside the box. I mean, I, I've always said J James Franklin, I think fits that mold and, um, and we'll see it, where they go. But I just, USC just seems like a job that they're going to, uh, there seems like a job that, that they're going to go like some NFL guy that, you know, try to find the next Pete Carroll, but we'll see. Yeah. That's probably what they, what they'll, what they'll look to do because they also want a sexy hire. They're not going to go with, with like a Gary Patterson, for example, who's going to come build their program. They're going to want a name <laughs> at USC. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, they're they're going to want a big name for sure. Yep. And, and, and you know, I'm actually excited about, um, about Joe Brady at LSU. I think, uh, that would be a fantastic hire for them to, for him to get that opportunity. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's just a matter if he wants to, I mean, he's in the NFL now and some guys go to the NFL and they're like, yeah, I really want to stay this life right here. Stay the course. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he's probably NFL a year or two away from getting a head coaching job in the NFL too. Right. So. And you're, But I mean, he also did magical things at LSU and probably had a great time doing it. So, uh, you know, it's really, I don't know him at all, but it's, it's, I think it's really going to come down to what does he want to do? Yep. Yep. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, we've got a we've got an a, exciting couple few weeks. We're in the dog, you know, the dog race uh, part of the season. These next few weeks, three weeks, really, are going to answer a lot of our questions. 
Uh, Zach, you're going to be back live broadcasting the game this weekend, right? Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to uh, do a live YouTube for the game Saturday, and and uh, and that's it, really. Then getting ready for the tailgate for Michigan State. Yep, yep. That's going to be a good one, man. As always, thanks for joining us. Um, we'll catch up. Well, I'm sure we'll talk throughout the week as these games go on. We'll catch up next week, man. Cool. Sounds good. Appreciate you, V. All right, brother. Take care. Yep. Show the Pilot Boys some love by getting some of our exclusive merch at shop.pilotboys.com. You're listening to the Pilot Boys Podcast. Hey, this is Partha. Not only am I a pilot boy, but I'm also the CEO of Lasso. I started Lasso to help people improve their movement on a daily basis. We design and create compression apparel that enables you to move confidently, recover safely, and ultimately be the best version of yourself. We use a patented compression technology that activates key ligaments and tendons to help you improve your proprioception, coordination, and balance on a daily basis. Lasso socks were recently ranked number one by Men's Health because of how much they improve how your body works and the overall comfort, softness, and feel of the product. We're very proud of the Lasso socks, so check them out on our website at lassogear.com or at lassogear. Undo Media is proud to be the production partner for the Pilot Boys. Storytelling is what they do. From video production, podcasting, and consulting, Undo Media's focus is on telling your story. Find out why four Emmys and hundreds of clients will back up why you should contact Undo Media for your next project. Look them up at undomedia.com. All right, V. Let's do this thing. 106 Deep Dive. What's going on, man? Just just as a forewarning to our listeners, uh, Partha is in Mexico City, so you may hear ambulances, police sirens, uh, screams, gunshots, all kinds of things. So You're going to hear a lot, and it's mostly because of the havoc I've caused in the, in the week that I've been yeah. here. There's a lot of people after me. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting, but you know, you get into any of these cities that are that populated um, and highly concentrated in population, chaos is always around you and it teaches you how to stay calm under fire. Yeah, or how to absolutely lose your cool immediately. One (laughs) or the other. (laughs) You you won't survive too long if you consistently lose your cool in a city like Mexico City. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, honestly, you know, the thing I was surprised about is they, they told us that there was gonna be a lot more like, like oh, it's not gonna be safe, like crime, all that stuff. And like, genuinely, people have been so nice, so helpful. And, you know, obviously, I've been in a very nice area. So there is that bias. But in general, I think that when you travel, if you're not overly flashy, if you're not, you know, being the douchey tourist with all your stuff everywhere, you're just kind of being a normal, like low key person. It's pretty easy to avoid uh, mishaps. Yeah, that's generally the norm. <laughs> Excuse me. Oh, bless yeah. you, bro. Thanks, man. Thanks. Um, I think that's generally my feeling on this too. It's like people fear going places because oh, there's crime there. There's crime in every city in America. Um, it's really how you maneuver and how you behave and how you act. I think a lot of Americans go overseas and feel like they're entitled, you know, entitlement's a big problem in our country, to behave and that people should act to them a certain way because they're American. But if you just go to any place and blend in, um, a lot of these fears that they put out there about travel warnings, travel advisory, safety, 
you know, they could issue those warnings in any city in America as well. But Americans have this belief and fear of going to places for those reasons. But at the end of the day, it's if you do no harm and you you act accordingly and like you said, don't make yourself a target, um, you'll find some of these experiences in some of these quote unquote dangerous cities to not be quite as dangerous and actually quite rewarding because um, it, 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 it's a it's a true genuine experience of the culture of the country you're going to. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree more with that, man. And now, you know, um, as I've been here, it's been an interesting experience just to uh, two things. One, get away from L.A. and get to a place that you see. I mean, honestly, like less homeless people than L.A., which is absurd. L.A., you really got to get your shit together. And um, at the same time, like a more grounded culture that cares a lot more about things like family and, um, you know, they take time off. They, they, the shops aren't open all the time. Like there's, there's just a different rhythm that people move to here that it took a few days to get used to. And it was very grounding to separate from the craziness and really like the clout chasing that you get surrounded by. And, you know, a lot of cities in America and especially on social. Yeah. A hundred percent, hundred percent. Um, which is probably the reason why you, uh, came up with this, week's deep dive so what are we talking about yeah man we are talking about overcoming fears so this i this has a story to it um one of the things that i've struggled with probably for most of my adult life and probably my whole life is the fear of failure and it's not been fear of failure in the sense like yeah i've definitely failed at things before but it's been the fear of letting people down as a result of my failure and Mm -hmm. um I was doing a lot of journaling while I was down here and regrounding and really considering the concept of unconditional love versus conditional love. And what I came to is that we as people in our society, very few of us receive unconditional love from our parents. That if you receive that growing up, you're in the minority. And then even if you receive that, once you go through life, it's very rare to receive unconditional love from anybody. People are very conditional based on your fame or your money or your success or what you can do for them, but they never really are going to be there if stuff doesn't work out for you. And I think that over, you know, a a period of my life, like while I was in pursuit of success, I met a lot of genuine people, uh, but I also met a lot of folks who are very conditional with their Mm -hmm. affection and support. And it becomes very hard to distinguish the difference because there's a lot of good actors out there. Yeah. And I think that there's two ways to distinguish the difference. One is failing, right? Like that fear that I had, if I were to fail completely, who would still be there? Asking myself that question. But the second way to do it is to change your habits. It's to deviate from the things that give you social value in terms of what your actions are and to see who still wants to spend time with you. You know, not going to the fancy restaurant, not doing the bougie stuff, not, you know, posting the like sick Instagram pics or whatever, right? Like once you stop doing that, who's still talking to you? Who stays around? And you'll find like for me, it was like 90% of people that talked to me dropped off quick. And it gave me a really, really important realization about who's really there for me. And then I think like the bigger thing was like, it also showed me that my fear was that I wouldn't be loved if I failed. And I had to really work 
to gain some grounding and some acknowledgement that there would still be people that love me regardless of what I went through in life. And by trying to please the people who are fake and not there for me for real, I was alienating the people that were there for me for real. Hmm. I think that that's, that's just true for life. We take for granted the people uh, that actually are going to be there for us because we take them for granted because we know they're going to be there versus trying to prove ourselves to, to other people, our society and prove our success to people that takes a lot more effort. And we're more concerned about that because that's something that we actually have to achieve versus something that's given um, to us by family, by people that we love, our relationships, um, all of those things we, people tend to take for granted generally. And then also I think um, culturally there's a lot put on people um, to succeed based on your status and how people treat you is going to be a result of your status. Poor people want to be rich, you know, and, and rich people, rich people want to find genuine people, right? They don't want to be measured just by their money. So it's this never ending cycle of fighting society's reality based on what we actually want. It's hard um, as you find success. And I found this in my life um, when I've had a lot of social cachet or um, knowing me provides uh, provides value to other people, I find that a lot of people want to be around me. But if I'm not providing that, if I'm just sitting at home, people aren't p- picking up the phone and calling me. It's A lot of it is based completely on what you can provide to people in that moment that they need you versus, Hey, I I genuinely want to have a real relationship um, with this person and it's okay. You know, it's okay to have transactional relationships. I know there's probably people that view me in the same way, but I think where the, the problem occurs is where people cannot figure out how to differentiate transactional relationships from real relationships and not treating your real relationships like they are transactional, you know? Um, and that's, that's the challenge that people face and where people get in, in trouble um, in terms of losing real and authentic relationships is kind of getting lost in the sauce and getting confused on, on being able to differentiate those two types of relationships. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more there. And I think that that's, that, whole thing is something you can't really necessarily prepare for. But one thing I've learned from UV is like you you live a very low key life and you've done that because you want it to be very clear to you who is really messing with you because they want to hang out with you and who's messing with you for other reasons. And you keep a lot of the value you can provide people to yourself. And I think that that takes a lot of maturity and it also takes a lot of self-worth because you didn't have self-worth, you would flex your relationships, you would flex the things that you can do for others to get people to spend time with you. So I think the first thing in this path of, you know, healing yourself and getting around good people that everyone has to acknowledge is how much self-worth do I have? Do I have enough self-worth to pull away from society and still be happy? 100%. And the truth is like a lot of valuable relationships that you seek those people are able to recognize people that value themselves, who believe in themselves, 
carry themselves without the need of other people. Um, that's really how you establish rela valuable relationships with in the business space is people, you, people feel your energy, feel how you carry yourself and conduct yourself. And people can feel out fake energy, you know, because this is what they get used to. They get used to that. Um, and it's, it's like a sixth sense. And so when you, when you live your, live your life authentically and you carry yourself with value for yourself, you know, um, other people recognize that and they want to be, be a part of that, you know, and that's, that's part of, part of, uh, this process, I would say, of th the world completely responds to how you feel about yourself, right? And so the most important, like you said, the most re important relationship you can have is with yourself. And if you have that relationship and you spend the time, as much time working on yourself as you work on making your friends happy, making your business relationships happy, all those other relationships will get stronger and the relationships you don't need and don't need to have in your life just naturally fall off, fall, fall by the wayside. And you end up living a much happier life, you know, when you actually accept that reality, um, as you pointed to in the beginning of this conversation, that if, you know, um, most relationships are, are built on what value you can provide, right? Um, and once you actually accept that it doesn't bother you as much you know and you, you move forward in a different different way i i could not agree more and i think you know as as you go through this journey as well like it's important to recognize everyone else is on their own journey in parallel mm -hmm. with you and so the people that are there for you also have their own flaws and like one of the things that i used to struggle with that i still struggle with sometimes is judgment i noticed mm -hmm. that there is a culture of passing judgment on people who are flawed or going through things. And I think that that judgment sometimes points you away from really quality people who do give you that unconditional love because they might not be where you are on your personal journey. And so there's this bridge where it's like, you wanna be around people that are where you're at in your career or professionally or whatever so that they can push you to get better. But at the same time, that's like a tactical kind of self-improvement. And then there's like the love side of being a human, which is like you need people that love you, but those people, and this is often the case with family, aren't the same as you. There's gonna be a lot of friction because their yep. beliefs are different, the growth path is different. And so like that's something, to be frank, I necessarily haven't been able to reconcile in my life. I haven't been able to find the balance between how I spend time with people to hone my skills versus how I spend time with people who I love, who I just want to support and be there for. And what complicates it is that when you love people who love you back, who aren't where you're at on their personal growth journey, sometimes their insecurities and doubts can make it almost impossible to interact with them on a human level because they'll flood the conversation with those doubts. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, one of the biggest issues culturally, there's a generational gap between value systems between your parent, parents and children. Then you have cross-cultural ones that minorities deal with, right? Because most minorities, um, they're only they've only been part of this culture for a few generations, um, and oftentimes that relationship isn't um, 
based on the generation, there are different challenges that each group has faced, right? And certain decisions and value systems that were developed based on the circumstances that people were in. Um, And so there's this disconnect because if it works, especially like I think in Indian communities, there's this tension and friction between first generation and second generation because what the first generation did, for the most part, they say works, right? We, We have successful careers. We have a house. We have our bills paid. Like a lot of this was built on values were based on survival and thriving in a, in a new society. Um, but where, where the disconnect happens is understanding in the second generation that there are new value metrics in place beyond that, like happiness, you know what I mean? Um, and, and, and not playing these social status games. And that, this is a, this isn't just a Indian thing. I think it's across cultures, right? Like, People will only affiliate with people in whether it's their 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 career path, their financial tax bracket, and you limit yourself by by even setting that value system in your head that I'm only going to interact with people like you said that check all the boxes, the same boxes that I check. It's imp- how are you going to grow that way? How are you going to grow if you don't cross over lines um, that everyone you've been around is already in like it's just a very poor way to look at life and a poor way to approach yes. life but unfortunately we're all trained to look at it that way and i and i i hate seeing these social classes like for example the country club is one of the things that i hate the most because it's like everybody in the country club is the exact same person why do you want everyone to be the same person all right like you would i would rather see a, a see a country club that had a broad range of of interactions versus just hey only people who are multimillionaires can be a part of this group it's the same thing with what these airlines do it's so funny like it used to be first class business class economy now you're at the airport and you're going through a security line and they're calling names there's like 15 different categories are you a premium select member you can board now if you are this you can board now and it's like society does this for us they divide us along these groups and they make us feel better if we're part of this this group and the other pe- and and we're not like one of the other people who aren't part of it right and and that creates you know the reason that people are so fucked up is because society creates these divisions that fuck us up that's incredibly well said v and i think i think where that takes us is is you know, how do you find people that are different from you, which is part one. And then how do you get the judgment and, you know, the friction out of your decision making in those moments so you can actually have real relationships with people. And I think, you know, where where I think about this is when I, you know, I'm, I'm leading our team, right? Or whenever I'm I'm spending time with friends or even taking this trip here, it's like, you meet people of all different walks of life and you spend time with people that are really different from you. Like I'm here with, with our mutual friend, Nev, and he's our creative director at Lasso. Um, amazing guy, but also um, somebody who I align a lot with in terms of my personal beliefs and drive, but our personalities and the, our social circles back home are actually quite different. And so we come from two very different walks of life, but because we both are, are in a place where we are able to communicate 
what we feel with each other. We grow and learn from each other and each other's perspective. And that's, that's an ideal situation, I think, in life when you, when you can get to that. But I noticed that I, I've had many a, a time in my life where a fear has prevented me from being able to be totally vulnerable with someone, whether it was that they wouldn't like me or, you know, whatever the case might be. And I think like one of the things that's helped me is if I have a fear of something like one of the, one of the things that, you know, I, I've not done well has been emotionally vulnerable in front of people um, I care about, man or woman. And it's because it's not masculine to do that. It's just not, not something that our cultural values in America said you should do. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'm happy to share today. I was on the phone with a friend and I was crying when I was on the phone because of, of something I was feeling, you know, it was a very positive set of tears, but it was tears nonetheless. And it showed vulnerability and it showed weakness. And I put myself in a position to be hurt. And that friend was one of those friends who gives me that unconditional love and he, he supported me. And I think it's, it's really challenging for us in this society to be able to be our true selves with people because the people that are going through pain will cause us pain when we when we show that vulnerability but the people who are happy people at their core are there just to offer us that can that unconditional love and support us and so like one of the things that that i think we we have to think about as we go through the process of growth and building our circles and understanding who we spend time with is who's in a place to receive the kind of openness and vulnerability we have to share and picking and choosing your moments too, because we're, you know, we're all about be yourself on this podcast. Like you should absolutely strive to put your full self out there, but there's situations where there's consequences for that. And that can be in the business setting and that can be in the personal setting as well. And you just have to be aware of what those consequences are. And if you're willing to accept the price of those consequences, sometimes vulnerability means that you will be hurt as a result of that vulnerability. And that's an okay thing for the most part in most of those situations. And I think that it's scary to, to go into any scenario thinking, oh man, I might get hurt here. But you know, my challenge for the listeners is if you notice a fear in your life that's preventing you from being yourself in any context, you should run straight head on into that fear and you should feel the pain that comes with being yourself in that context. Because every outcome has a price, right? And in our, in our view, it's better to pay the price of authenticity in any situation than it is to pay the price of inauthenticity. But it is very, very, very scary in some situations to pay the price of authenticity because of the way we were raised or the previous experiences we've had. 100%. Um, part of getting there, right, is actually knowing what your your frame of references for authenticity versus inauthenticity, right? Because there's a discovery process. And I think we keep going back that through this, like as you are saying, the only way that you're going to discover your authentic self is by putting yourself in positions and situations that help you understand that that's not authentic to who you are or authentic to who you are. So running head first into fear um, is the way that you get to the point where you are mentally strong enough where things don't phase you, what people say to you, how people feel about you, judgment, all of those things don't phase you nearly as much when you've gone through these fears and, and tackled them um, in your personal life. And that's kind of, I think, the takeaway from this is running headfirst 
toward your fears so that uh, you conquer them and so that those fears suddenly become strengths, you know? Um, and that's, that's where I think we, um, where this frame of frame for this conversation really lies is in that, right? Like running head first toward the things that you are scared of so that you no longer are scared of them. Like that is the path to not being scared, you know? Yeah. And dude, I think what you just said is so powerful, turning your fears into strengths, right? Like it, it's interesting because most of our fears are the, the parts of our personality that shine the brightest, that threaten the people around us at a, yeah. at a very young age and it, parents, relatives, friends, school children, whatever it might've been. So typically your fears are masking the parts of you that are the best. Yeah. And the only way for you to really shine like the way the way you're meant to is to to go in and feel that feeling to the maximum and it's not fun no it's just not. genuinely sucks but the after effect of going through it is so worth it high roi activity right there yeah and and there's what i will say you know last thing i'll say on this is even when you get through this process i think every human being has a dragon to slay one dragon one fear um that lingers even through the path of self-improvement there's a fear or a dragon and there's a long process between the first step identifying that dragon and actually tackling that dragon because that's the dragon that once you once you tackle that one you are on the other side you know it's almost like to use buddhism that's like when you reach nirvana is when you can get through and slay that dragon. That's your biggest fear, right? The biggest possible fear you have in your life. And if you can get through the process of overcoming your smaller fears, you'll eventually get to the point where you can tackle that fear as well. Yeah, and I would I would even modify that saying, instead of slay your dragon, I would say make friends with your dragon because then you can fly and you have a fire-breathing dragon you get to ride around. that's what it is it's like those fears like yeah it might be this massive beast but it can be a tool for you it can be something that helps you shine brighter and you know at the end of the day like there's no accidents in this life like the journey you're on the things you're learning it's a part of your narrative it's your story and it's your growth and like any great story there's an amazing climax and that climax is there for you it's waiting you just have to get ready to turn the pages and and get there yep yep and with that i think that kind of puts a button on on this conversation for this week uh remember to stay moving um focus on being you finding out who you is or <laughs> and, and and chase toward your fears. That's 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 the way to do it. Um, Pilot boys out.